Brick Moon Fiction presents White Flags by Jack Moody, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. Without ever having been inside a terrarium, the President of the United States nonetheless recognized that that was where he was. He lifted himself up to his haunches and felt the soft bedding against his hands. It layered the floor of the terrarium like fresh snow. He looked up and saw an expansive wire mesh ceiling looming overhead, the length of two football fields. In the center of his caged sky was a massive and blinding yellow light. Its heat emanated and forced out the sweat from his pores like wringing a wet rag. The terrarium was wide enough that the president imagined it would take a solid 76.5 seconds dead sprinting from one end to the other, and this estimate accounted for extreme climate, poor footing, and the president's physical condition and athletic ability, which was superb. The president got to his feet and surveyed the direct surroundings on the horizon. There appeared to be only two objects that perforated the artificial desert environment. Far away, tucked back into one corner against the glass, was a clearly human-crafted cave dwelling. This would be his solace from the heat. Across from the dwelling, on the opposite end of the terrarium, stood a boulder. But this boulder appeared to have a concave center at the top of it, like a volcano that had blown off its peak during eruption. The president imagined within this concave center lied something important. This would be his second mission directive. First, he needed to get out of this heat. As he traversed the humid enclosure, the president made half-hearted glances at the glass walls, but the glass must have been as thick as the metal security doors that encapsulated the panic room underneath the White House. There would be no escape through these walls. What lay beyond the terrarium was a mystery. The most that could be made out was that whatever room it was that this terrarium existed within, the room was pitch black and devoid of further clues. Staring out past his reflection in the glass was like looking into the greatest abyss, into starless space. It was like peering into the pupil of a vengeful god. Upon reaching the entrance to the artificial cave, the president had foregone with appearances and removed his suit jacket, tying it around his waist. His sweat-drenched white undershirt was wrapped around his forehead, like a turban. The gaping hole staring back at him was as dark as if he were to be walking in blindfolded. He checked for his cell phone, but was unsurprised once he came up empty. Anyone capable of kidnapping the U.S. president would have the foresight enough to confiscate his only means of communication. This meant he'd be going in vulnerable. He never trusted the Secret Service to do their job right anyway. Well, that was obvious now. If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself, the president mumbled. This was followed by a deep exhale and the only words he could think of before stepping into the black unknown. Fucking Secret Service. He crept forward, running his left hand against the wall for guidance. Within the cave it was cool and damp, more humid than the empty desert outside. A few yards ahead, floating around the sea of darkness like a firefly, was a single dim light, glowing orange. The president wasn't alone. This could be either terrific or terrible news. Given that he was going in blind and weaponless, he knew that if whatever this entity was presented any danger, he wouldn't stand any chance. But this moment demanded executive action. He'd carried out decisions like this countless times, ordering the bombings of entire villages based on shaky evidence that could then in turn save entire countries, declaring wars and sending thousands of men to their deaths for what he believed was the greater good. These were never easy decisions that nonetheless needed to be made but the president had never yet found himself the directly affected individual of one of these life-or-death decisions. After weighing his options, 
he saw no choice. Stepping tentatively closer and closer, the light's glow began to unveil vague shapes. These shapes remained still, watching him. He could hear his own heartbeat pounding against his breastplate, bouncing and reverberating off the cave walls. The president stopped dead, listening, waiting. Moments passed that felt like hours, the palpable silence filling up the dim cavern like a noxious gas. When it became clear that these shapes were either unwilling to make first contact or simply inanimate, the president sucked in the warm, sour air and called out, My name is James McAllen. I am the president of the United States. I am lost and unarmed. I mean no harm to you. There was a long pause. Then, from somewhere within the depths of the cave, came a voice. Ha! That's a joke! 4,800 nuclear missiles! That's harm! What does he... What do you even do with that many? You're a hoarder! Hoarder! The president recognized the voice, the thick Korean accent cutting through vitriolic rhetoric. Anyone on Earth would recognize that high-pitched whine by now. His speeches broadcast across the globe every time he once again threatened mass murder. Doyun? Doyun Kim? the president murmured. That's you, isn't it? Supreme Leader Duyun Kim, came the North Korean dictator's cry from the dark. You will respect my title. Your English is getting better, Kim. Supreme Lead... The president cut him off. I'm stepping forward now. Don't do anything rash. We won't, came another familiar voice. Just come sit down and tell us what you've done. Whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, it violates the Geneva Convention, and I will have you tried for war crimes, Mr. President. The President scoffed. Is that your attempt at irony, Nikolai? Or have your delusions finally given way to unwarranted paranoia? The Russian leader barked back from the shadows. Explain yourself. What is this place you've put us in? You've got to listen to me, Nikolai. I have as little clue as you two. Let's talk about this. I'm sitting down now. The president shuffled closer to the light, plopping down across from President Nikolai Petrov and Supreme Leader Kim. He could now make out that the dim light floating beside them was a headlamp strapped around the forehead of a fourth person. His face was bathed in shadows behind the lamp's glow, and he had remained silent during this entire encounter. The Chinese president appeared far more aged and weathered than the last time he'd seen him. The shadows cast from around the headlamp accentuated every crease and wrinkle across his face, like rocky crevices at sundown. President Cho, he said, what the hell is going on here? It's like we're in a political science major's fever dream. Stop playing dumb, said President Petrov. We are your enemies. This is no coincidence. They were all enemies, Nikolai. Whatever this is, it's bigger than the both of us. Someone put us all here together. Prove it said Petrov. Why would I be down here with all of you? I inhabit the same prison. I'm no better off. Whoever put us here did so for a reason. Believe me, if I knew why, I would have already taken advantage of that knowledge and left you here. But as you can see, I haven't. We're on even footing. The president looked around at the black walls as if there were some clue in the darkness he may have missed. Now, what's the last thing you all remember before waking up in here? Before anyone else could answer... President Cho spoke up, a hushed and gruff voice, communicating in Mandarin. What? said President McCallan. He say he hide headlamp up his ass, volunteered Supreme Leader Kim. In case of capture, always be prepared, he say. 
He say not the first time. Um, I'm not sure he understood my question, said the president. I mean, but Kim cut him off. He say first time he captured by freedom fighters and he end up in dark room tied to chair. Tortured. Naked. Very naked. President Cho mumbled to himself, nodded solemnly, and continued in Mandarin. Kim felt compelled to translate further. Many tortures involving the testicles. Cho make it out, but he now terrified of darkness. He make a promise to himself never to fall victim to darkness again. So Cho hides small headlamp up his ass. Cho looked down at the ground and nodded once more. As he did so, the beam of light illuminated the thin white material of what appeared to be a large cloth blanket laid out beneath them. That's a charming and serendipitous reason for providing us with light, said the president. But that doesn't give us the information we need to know. Kim finished President Cho's anecdote. He tells you this because this time there's no torture, no ransom. He remember walking to the bedroom and something hits him hard on the head. He remembers someone dragging him into a small tube, like a coffin. It made noises like a wild animal, very loud. Then he wake up here hours ago. Kim paused before reciting the last of President Cho's description. He say this kind of darkness different than last time. This kind of darkness feels evil. This darkness doesn't want money or power. He has a bad feeling. A cold chill ran down the president's spine. It couldn't be what he thought. He'd have been alerted long before. I had a similar situation, Petrov admitted. I was making passionate love with my third mistress. She must have orgasmed ten times. It was some of my better work. She, Petrov, get on with it. Right. Well, after satisfying Nadia thoroughly, I allowed myself a small break to replenish electrolytes and went to the bathroom. I recall a strong jolt, like an electric current, striking me between my shoulder blades. The last thing I remember before waking up here was being placed in some sort of machine. It whirred and clanked like an MRI machine, but more alien. The president's blood ran cold. It was exactly what he feared. Aliens, shouted Supreme Leader Kim. That's it. I remember everything. They come down in ships of golden light and descended upon Pyongyang. Hideous creatures with fangs for eyes and tentacles growing in all directions. Hundreds of them. I fight them back with only fists, but... I know what's happened, the president interrupted. He hesitated before speaking further. What I'm about to tell you all is highly confidential. But seeing as we're in this together, I can see the merit in including my enemies in the knowledge if it means we can put aside our differences and use it to get out of here. Petrov's eyes grew wide like blue reflective mirrors. Jesus, McAllen, what have you done? Six months ago, a piece of technology went missing from the weapons research department in the Pentagon. Something so new we hadn't yet worked out the kinks, let alone gotten far enough to warrant human testing. But, well... No one knew what happened to it. It just vanished overnight. We did everything we could, combed through each employee in the building one by one, checked each cargo hall that had left the building around the time of disappearance. We found nothing. It was gone. President McAllen, Petrov hissed. What is it? A weaponized molecular compressor. A what? repeated Petrov. The president sighed. A shrink ray. Petrov scoffed, but his jaw clenched, narrowing his face and making his gaunt, vampiric features even more pronounced. That's... you're saying... I'm saying it looks like it works, the president responded. 
We're the WMC's first human trial. Kim exploded in anger, jolting up to his feet. Fucking American dog! Your incompetence has killed us all! You filth! You have doomed us! The president watched the hypnotic jiggling of the Korean leader's protruding belly, waiting for the waves and ripples to calm before guiding the conversation back towards civility. Kim, relax. Supreme leap! Relax. It's American technology these people have used to put us all in here, but the fact remains that we are the four people that were put in here. Four world leaders from four different parts of the world. Whatever this is, we are obviously all connected. They wanted us all to be in the same room, so we need to think. Who could these people be? What is their plan? Why us? If we were simply meant to be tortured, there are far more effective ways than utilizing some experimental military side project. If we were meant to be assassinated, we'd already be dead, President Petrov added. The president nodded. You'd think so. He looked into the faces of the three men who, until this moment, had only been obstacles, and thought for a moment. What do the four of us have in common, besides leadership? He asked the group. We have nothing in common, Petrov spat. We couldn't be farther apart on the scale of intelligence and intellect, and sexual prowess I can only assume. That is the only thing I will agree on, Kim contributed. I am ordained by gods. What are you? He pointed with a pudgy sausage finger towards McAllen and Petrov. Worms! Worms! Then pointed towards the monk-like Cho, giving him the courtesy of translating the same insult. Well, that's exactly my point, said the president. What we have in common is that we don't see eye to eye. We are the most powerful leaders in the world but can't make any change worth a goddamn because we are all collectively in each other's way. Think about it. Whoever put us here wants us to do something. Maybe that something is simply to agree. Petrov snorted. Agree on what? Well, I don't know yet. The president twisted around and gazed back out at the burning sea of white bedding. You all have been here longer. You must have explored the other side of this place already. What did you find in that boulder? Water, replied Petrov, like a pool filling up the crater at the top. Without that, we probably would have died of exhaustion by now. How deep does it go? A few meters. You can see down to the bottom. It leads nowhere. And there's nothing else here. No. No food, no exit. The pool of water at one end and this cave at the other. The rest is just space. So they're trying to keep us alive, said the president. They provided us with water and with shelter for a reason. But if they are trying to get us to do something, Petrov continued, they've given us a ticking clock to accomplish it. Eventually, we'll starve. I have no qualms with eating any of you for survival, Kim stated. Petrov reached out and jabbed a finger into Kim's belly. Yes, we're all well aware of that. The president reached down and ran his fingers along the white sheet laid out across the cave's floor. Was this here already, or did Cho pull this out of his ass, too? Already here, Petrov replied. It was spread out like this when we walked in. Then it must mean something. But what? It could just be a blanket. We don't know how night and day works inside this thing. It could be here to keep us from freezing if it's only going to get colder. No, said the president. This is too deliberate. There has to be a reason we're here, and this is the single item they left for us. It's our key. I just don't know how to use it. You're grasping at straws, McAllen. What could we possibly do with it? A long, heavy silence fell over the group. 
when no other noise existed, the distant buzzing from the great light in the sky grew deafening, as if a massive swarm of insects were descending upon them. Then, birthed out of the still blackness, came Cho's voice, piercing through the dead air with a single word spoken in English. Surrender. His audience turned their heads. What? said Petrov. White flag, Cho grumbled. For surrender. Jesus. The president looked down at the cloth blanket. Do you think they are watching? Kim whispered. Petrov blew out a lengthy sigh. He may be right. They want to know they've defeated the four most powerful nations in the world. They want a sign that they've achieved dominance. I refuse, Kim barked. I bow to no man. I would rather die than be lesser than these animals. Do we have a choice? asked the president. It's just a gesture. They're in it for the power trip alone. Otherwise, a hundred other fates could have been chosen for us. They put us under their control, trapped us in here, shrunken down and forced to beg for mercy to these omnipotent, invisible people who imprisoned us. They just want to play God. Like fucking children, Petrov snarled. Surrender, Cho repeated. Only option. Do you see any other route, Kim? The president eyed him with a genuine softness. Supreme Leader Kim. Supreme Leader Kim, I'm asking, do you see any other way out of this? The eyes of the Korean despot's peers fell upon him, quiet. Kim puffed out his chest and spoke, as if addressing his country. If I am not alone, then I am not weak. Are we in agreement? Petrov nodded. For survival. Surrender. Only option, Cho declared. President McCallan stood. Then we'll do this together. The four rose up and each took a corner of the white blanket, lifting it as one, and walked out towards the violent glare of their captor's desolate creation. The overwhelming heat struck them as soon as they reached the light, and the sweat poured and their movements became sluggish, but the white flag stretched across between them. The room beyond the glass walls was black and stark and no sign of life existed outside of their own beating hearts. But they knew someone was out there, waiting, watching. Something was out there. The four world leaders who until this moment had never agreed upon a single thing marched in unison towards the wide glass wall facing the abyss, and without a word or spoken direction, lifted the flag above their shoulders and pressed it against the mirror-like barrier. And they waited like soldiers of poor fortune. Out of the silence, and out of the pain, and out of the fear and dwindling resentment, Cho muttered something in Mandarin, his arms trembling and dripping with sweat. Kim took on the duty of translating the Chinese president's words. He say, We are not as different as we like to think. Then, before anyone could answer his cryptic words, came a terrible rumbling, like mortars dropping and exploding upon the earth coming closer and closer. Rhythmic and all too human, the source of the thunder approached. He was right, the president proclaimed. They just wanted us to come together. They just wanted us to cooperate. The frame of a towering giant came stomping through the cloud of darkness, his legs extending far above what they could see over the wire mesh sky. He stopped at the glass wall, leaning over their prison his face and torso obscured by the abyss and the great light burning their eyes. Then a grating mechanical screech gave way 
as the wire mesh sky began to slide back, the black vacuum of the surrounding room pouring in like ocean water into a sinking ship. They're letting us free! We did it! Petrov screamed. They just wanted peace. Well, we'll give them peace. I've survived the specter of death with you, my friends. We'll give them what they wanted from us. World peace, Kim chanted. World peace, McAllen smiled. Surrender, Cho mumbled and closed his eyes. As the leaders of the four superpowers of the world celebrated peace on Earth, the giant dropped his pet snake back into its home and slid the wire mesh ceiling closed. It hadn't eaten in weeks. It was very hungry. Oh, said President McAllen. Well, fuck. Jack Moody is a short story writer, poet, and freelance journalist from wherever he happens to be at the time. He has had work published in multiple magazines and journals, including the Saturday Evening Post. He didn't go to college. He likes his privacy. He doesn't have social media. Don't ask him to make one. Contact him at j.moody9116 at gmail.com. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.